Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. For the last three years, would you say that our world has been in crisis? It started with a health crisis. We st- when we started to hear of a virus that was spreading around the world. Next thing we know, there was a shortage of masks and PPE. Before long, we realized how tight our relationship with toilet paper really was. (laughs) Then lumber and building supplies started to become scarce. The prices went up. Then we heard that they weren't producing enough microchips, and as a result, vehicles and phones and everything that requires microchips was in short supply. Then we had a gas shortage there for a little bit and on and on as our supply chains have been disrupted. But as I thought about this and was preparing this topic, I remembered a film that was shared with me some years ago and it was about an independent uh, journalist that had predicted a series of events on his, as he was doing his research, one of which was the, what later became the 2008 financial collapse. Although he didn't predict the date, he did predict the event pretty well. But the focus of this film was not about that. It was introducing the idea that the world had reached peak oil. And the term peak oil refers to to the idea that the rate of global production is near or past its peak and that it is now on the decline slowly as it hits bottom and the well dries up. You see, in the film, the suggestion was made that the events of the last 20, 30, possibly 40 years were all truly interconnected, although not publicly. And when looked through the lens of the, the idea that the world is running out of oil, one would see that governments that had, and nations that had realized this were basically making maneuvers and setting themselves up for this day when this crisis would hit. That every geopolitical uh, maneuver wars and threats of wars were all truly driven by this at, the, at, at its core. But what I appreciated about the film was not so much the, the potential doom and gloom, it was the, the fact that the, the filmmakers spent a lot of time giving ideas for individuals on how they could prepare for this crisis. And there was a lot of things that resonated in in that with some of our messages. But obviously I'm not here to speak today about a geological uh, oil crisis when the world runs out of oil. There is another oil crisis that I believe Seventh-day Adventists need to be paying special attention to. And I believe that the current world crisis or crises have us distracted from the real crisis that is soon to hit. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, we're gonna talk about the 
parable that we're all too familiar with of the ten virgins. You see, when Jesus is, is telling this story to the disciples, it is right at sunset, and they're perched up on a hill, and they're observing a crowd gathering for a wedding procession. You see, in the east, many, too often the, the weddings were in the evenings, and there would be, the bridegroom would come, and he would have a procession, and they would walk to, to receive the bride and take her to his home. So Jesus goes on and says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those that were foolish took their lamps with no oil, took no oil with, their, with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom delayed, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for you, for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for, neither, for you neither know the day or the hour which the Son of Man is coming. You see, the two classes of watchers represents two classes of prof who profess to be waiting on the Lord. They're called virgins because they profess a pure faith. By the lamp is represented the word of God. The psalmist says, thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So we have two classes of watchers the wise and the foolish. They're all virgins because they profess a true faith. All had lamps because they had the word of God, but all were asleep while there was a delay. The only thing that distinguishes one group from the other is the fact of who made preparation with the oil, who had the Holy Spirit. So at this point, if you read through verses 1 through 5, do you think that the virgins recognize that they have an oil crisis? And I would say no. When is it that they realize that there is a crisis? And it's not until the cry goes out, and clearly the cry comes from not within their group because it's, they're all asleep, but the cry goes out that the bridegroom cometh, and that is what brings them to the reality of whether they are prepared or not. 
In the parable, all ten virgins went out to meet the bridegroom. All had lamps and vessels for oil. For a time was seen no difference in them, so with the church that lives just before Christ's second coming, all the knowledge of all have a knowledge of the scriptures. All have heard the message of Christ's near approach and confidently expect his appearing. But as in the parable, so it is now. At the time of waiting, a time of waiting intervenes. The faith is tried, and when the cry is heard, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out and meet him. Many are unready. They have no oil in their vessels with their lamps because they are destitute of the Holy Spirit. So we know the Holy Spirit is, the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. But what does that really mean in practical terms? How how do we translate that to, to our lives? And as I was compiling the, the answer from inspiration, I came across a number of quotes. I, I'm gonna, the, what I'm going to read or I'm quoting, and um, it's better than I could explain it. So she says, My mind is carried to the future when a... My mind is carried to the future when the signal will be given, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out and meet him. But some have delayed to obtain the oil for their replenishing, obtain the oil for replenishing their lamps. And too late, they find that character, which is represented by the oil, is not transferable. That oil is the righteousness of Christ. It represents character, and character is not transferable. No man can secure for another. Each must obtain his own character, purified of every stain of sin. And another, she says, those who exercise the true faith of Christ make it manifest by a holy character by obedience to the law of God, they realize that the truth as it is in Jesus reaches heaven and compasses eternity. They understand that Christian character should represent the character of Christ and full, full of grace and truth. To them is imparted the oil of grace which sustains a never-failing light. The Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer makes him complete in Christ. It is not a decided evidence that a man or a woman in Christ it is not a decided evidence that a man or a woman is a is a Christian because he manifests an, a deep emotion when an exciting circumstance. You see sometimes we hear Christians say, well, I feel this way, or I felt that way. Well, that alone is not the evidence. It's, it's the character that, that we're talking about here. 
She goes on and says, not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain on them. It is, it is left with us to remedy the defects of our character, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon, upon us as the early day rain did upon the disciples at the day of Pentecost. You see, the name, the foolish virgins, represents the character of those who have not a genuine heart wrought by the Spirit of God. The coming of Christ does not change the foolish, vir- uh, the foolish virgins to wise ones. When Christ comes, the balances of heaven weigh the character. They... They all, they had all the light, all the knowledge, but they failed to obtain the oil of grace and did not receive the truth and sanctifying power. I think we've all read before in Mount of Blessings where she says that character is the great harvest of life. In Great Controversy, page 623, Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain, vi- gain the victory. He kept his Father's commandments, and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to, for his advantage. This is the condition of those This is the condition which those must be found. Sorry, this is the condition in which those must be found who stand in the, in the time of trouble. I know we've heard preach uh, from here many times, and I think it was even last week. Um, Christ is waiting and with a longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim him as his own. Sorry for the many quotes, um, but some of those you may have heard and some of those you may have not. So what is being described by when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we're asking for a character transformation we're asking for the character of Christ, for the spirit of Christ. Do you guys remember, I think it was around 2008, when the markets were collapsing and I think there was an election and there was a lot of, uh, well, there was a, the gas prices shot up around that time. And there was a lot of um, political back and forth on whose fault was the, the gas prices. I believe the uh, one party was complaining that it took 10 years to get an oil uh, well drilled and because of all the red tape. And the point of the story is, I don't remember who coined the phrase, drill baby drill, but I believe is that one of the political conventions, that was like the solution that kept being chanted. But the problem was that the nation was in the midst 
of an oil crisis. Prices were through the roof. There was some uh, supply issues. And drilling a well at that point in the midst of the crisis was going to do no one any good. Because it takes time to drill a well. It takes time to tap it. And it takes time to extract the oil. And it's the same in our Christian life. If we wait until there's a crisis to obtain the oil, it'll be too late. In Christ's Object Lessons, she says that it is, it is in a crisis that character is revealed. Later she goes on to say, So now a sudden and unlooked-for calamity, something that brings the soul face-to-face with death, will show whether there is any real faith in the promises of God. It will show whether the soul is sustained by grace. The great final test at the close of human probation when it, come, when it will be too late for the soul's need to be supplied. You know, I mentioned that the last three years we've been in a crisis, and I guess you could say, I mean, COVID brought everyone with the possibility of being face uh, to face with death. We all have loved ones or friends that we have lost as a result. And I wonder if God, for the rest of us that are still here, permits these types of events almost like a pretest in school. If, if you really analyze and break down how the crisis unfolded, and you compare it to the final crisis, there are many similarities in, it, in its structure. And while it's not the same, it is similar, similar enough to reveal perhaps how our characters responded in the midst of the crisis. And I think it's fair to say that each of us, no matter where you fall in the, the debate of things, have could find something that we lacked and could, could definitely improve. The good news is that it's still time and there's still time to tap the well and draw from the oil. You know, the film introduced, I mentioned introduced the idea of peak, of peak oil, the idea that the world was on the glass half empty side of, of the reserves but I wonder, are we, or is our church, is, is our window of probation closing, and how do we know? Is the well tap losing pressure? So as I set out to, to understand that, I found a few things that give us insight. She says, already the spirit of God, insulted, refused, abused, is being withdrawn from, from the earth. The world will soon be left by the angel of mercy and the seven last plagues will be poured out. The spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments 
are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. The calamities by land and by sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarm of war are portentous. For they forecast approaching events of, great, of the greatest magnitude. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes will soon take place in our world, and the final events will be rapid ones. She says, the restraining spirit of God is now being withdrawn from the world. And hurricanes and storms, tempests, fire, flood, disaster by sea and by land follow each other in quick succession. Science seeks to explain these all. The signs thickening around us, telling us of the near approaching of the Son of God, are attributed to any other than their true cause. And the last one, the Spirit of God is being withdrawn. Disasters by land and sea follow each other in quick succession. These are the agencies by which he seeks to arouse men and women to their senses of their danger. So when we see things that perhaps are happening around us, there's war, there's disaster, seems to be getting worse every day. God is allowing these, not to destroy man, but he's trying to arouse us from our, the realization of our danger, to realize that we're asleep and our lamps are not full. Can you see that we're in an oil crisis or about to hit the big one? You know, so we've learned that the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And then when we ask for the Holy Spirit, what we're asking for is a character transplant. In the Bible, olive oil is used often. And when someone is sick, or going through a challenging time, often the pastor or the elders will meet and anoint someone. And what do we use? We use olive oil. But why olive oil? When the sanctuary was being, uh, when God gave Moses instructions on, on constructing the sanctuary, not only was the structure, but the, the instruments, the, the furniture inside, when talking about the, the lampstand, the with the candlesticks. Exodus 27, 20 says, For ye shall command the children of Israel that they bring pure olive of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. What is the purpose of the oil? It is to cause the lamp to burn continually. Sometimes, only on Sabbath, no, continually. And so the oil that was filling the lamps in the sanctuary was to have a continual light. That same oil that we can tap into is so that we can be a light unto the world continually, not just on Sabbath, not just when it's convenient. 
You see, in the, in the King James, the word that is used instead of pressed olive, it says beaten olive. In some others, you can translate it to a bruised olive. How many of you have ever seen olive oil being made? It's smashed up and then it's put under high pressure and, and the oil is squeezed out of the olives. You see, Jesus is the bruised olive. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was beaten from our iniquities. But by his stripes, we are healed. The night before the cross, do you remember where he went? Him and his disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Well, he did. He told the disciples to watch and pray, and what did they do? They fell asleep. Do you remember where the Garden of Gethsemane is located? It's on the Mount of Olives. And do you know what the Gethsemane stands for, or the other name for Gethsemane? It's the Olive Press. You remember when Jesus was praying, and he was under deep agony, and he begins to sweat great blood, uh, drops of blood? Jesus is in the garden being pressed, and the oil of the olive is being squeezed out. Inspiration says that the olive groves were his sanctuary for prayer. There, from every human eye, he communed with his heavenly Father. His moral powers were strengthened by his meditation and communion with God. This was the secret that he had, this communion that we find throughout his whole life and ministry. <clears throat> In Desire of Ages, page 734, she says, The blood drops of agony that from his wounded temples flowed down his face and beard were the pledge of his anointing with the oil of gladness. As he is our great high priest. And she's referring to Hebrews chapter 1, where he is made high priest. You see, she's making the connection between the blood at the cross and the journey to the cross, the blood that was shed, and the oil when he received the full outpouring of the Spirit of God. You see, when we ask for the oil to fill, to fill us for the Holy Spirit, we're also asking for the blood of Christ. We, we have to learn what it is like to have a Gethsemane experience. She says, we must expect difficulties. There is a crown to win. The trials will come. Christ was made perfect in human nature through suffering. There's something about trials and suffering that bring us closer to him. So when they come, let's make the most of them. But do we know what it means to have the blood of the lamb? 
you know, in Revelation 12, 11, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Who is him? It's Satan. They overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb. Or if we transpose that, by the oil of grace. Do you have the blood of the lamb? Do you know what it is to have the blood of the lamb? In the Review and Herald, she says, the white raiment is the righteousness of Christ that may be brought into character. The purity of heart, the purity of motive will characterize everyone who is washing their robes and making it white in the blood of the lamb. So when we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're washing our robes and accepting his righteousness, his character in exchange. What a deal. The Bible tells us that the life of the flesh is where? In the blood. And Jesus said, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, ye have no life. And Jesus said that the man shall not eat by bread alone, but by every word of God. So eating the flesh symbolically represents the word of God. So the life of the flesh is in the blood. So if you're eating the flesh, but not the blood, we have no life. You see, the Pharisees had the word. The Pharisees had everything they needed to recognize and receive Christ. But what did they lack? They didn't have a spirit. It's quite the contrast. So we today could be reading our Bible, doing our devotions, know all the 28, know all the prophecies, but if we don't have the Spirit, do we have life? The Spirit is life. So the question is very simple. If the life of the flesh is in the blood, and the life and by its life we live, then we have to ask, what sustained Jesus? You see, in the garden, something had changed. He was used to daily praying and communing with his Father. This continual cycle of communication or communion with his Father. But in Gethsemane, we see it cut off. And it was crushing him. The only thing that sustained him to the cross was the oil reserves that he had built up. You see, when we pray today, our prayers are lifted up to Jesus, who has to clean them up because they're not pure. So he, pour, he, he puts his sweet incense on them and then presents them to the Father. This is the role of the intercessor. 
But you see, the Bible is very clear, and so is Spirit of Prophecy, that one day that intercessor stands up and there will not be an intercessor, that our communication will be cut off. As Adventists, we call this Jacob's time of trouble. And the only thing that will be able to sustain God's people during that time is whether their lamps are full, whether they have obtained the robes of righteousness, whether the character transformation is seen by the work of the Spirit. I read earlier from Great Conversations, Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain victory. He kept his Father's commandments, and there was no sin in him that Satan can use to his advantage. This is the condition which those must be found who, are, who, are, who shall stand in the time of trouble. Stand without an intercessor. We know that by beholding, we become transformed. So the best way to behold is reading his word, studying his word. How many of you have the book Desire of Ages? If you don't have it, I encourage you to get it. Or Steps to Christ. There's a Steps to Christ challenge in your bulletin. Read those books. Read this book. And as you read it, ask the Holy Spirit, before you start, to paint the pictures or the scenes in your mind of what you're reading. To give you the thoughts and the feelings that Christ was experiencing. As you do this, you will realize how great the sacrifice. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God. As we talk with a friend, he will speak his mysteries to us personally. Often, there will come to us the sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus. Often our hearts will burn with his, with, will, will burn within us as he draws nigh and communes with us as he did with Enoch. So what was the purpose of the oil in the lamps? It was to cause it to burn continuously. You see, when we pray and Christ draws near, our hearts will burn. And when our hearts burn, we can't help but share that with others. You see, at the end of the parable, those that were ready went in to the marriage and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open. And he answered and says, what did he say? I don't know you. If we're not praying, and if we don't have the, the prayer life that Jesus modeled for us, how will, we, how will he know us? Prayer 
is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual power. No other means of grace can substitute the health of the soul be preserved. Prayer is the heart. Prayer brings the heart into immediate connection with the wellspring of life. There's only life in the blood. So the solution is simple. We have to drill. By studying his word, by daily prayer and seeking and asking for his spirit to transform us and to give us the character that we cannot obtain on our own. See, Isaiah says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If I had to translate that into modern English, I would say, drill, baby, drill. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.